Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, visit therockonline.org. And now a message from The Rock of Gainesville. It is really an honor to be here with you guys. My beautiful wife is here. Never take that for granted. 46 years, November 1st. Looks like, just like the day I saw you the first time, sweetheart, thank you. Actually, she's wearing kind of a little hippie dress, so that's kind of true there. Um, I have a dear friend, Brent Gove, with me from California, came out to be with me. He's a dear friend. And extra Bob and Rose, who I love as well. I've known you guys for forever, 30, 40 years probably. But uh, Pastor George and Pastor Suzanne, again, there's really no words to share. They uh, have been probably the most influential couple in, in our entire Christian lives. Certainly, um, The Rock of Gainesville uh, influenced my life the most as an evangelist. And then we planted The Rock of Roseville in California, for those who might remember that. Pastored there 21 years and retired three years ago. I crowd surfed out. If we want to do that today, I'm ready. You guys are ready. Just... But um, I believe I'm going to live a long time, and I'm, I'm claiming that for my life. Um, Long life is a blessing. The Bible says, honor your father and mother that you may live long on the earth. And so I am, by the grace of God, trying to stay healthy, spirit, soul, and body in every way. But it's really an honor to be here. This facility, amazing. Pastor Tad, Pastor Ron, thank you for, and the other leaders who are here, Jamie. Others, I can't name everyone, Hector, but they're all magnificent. But uh, I was only here probably a couple years ago when there was a, a shell, uh, and now to see it finished, but I've been here since Oak Hall, since, uh, is it uh, Charles Manson School? I've been here, sorry, little joke, little joke, little joke. I love saying that here every few years. Um, the uh, movie theaters when you were there, lots of different things over the years. But kind of growing up here in the Lord and just seeing what the Lord has done. And now being with my dear friend uh, on the journey and obviously over the last uh, couple of years calling him regularly and praying with him and Suzanne, they are giants in, in God to me, and I honor them, uh, just their courage. And really, if, if I were to say who would be the poster people for this message today, it would be them. They'd be the two people that I'm thinking of uh, that model that. And with my gift of interrogation, I also did ask <laughs> Pastor George um, about elements of this message, and he, of course, passed the test with flying colors, so I'm not overstating anything about his conviction and how he lives. And you guys know that, I'm sure, better than I do. So I'm here today with my beautiful uh, wife, and but we have more kiddos there, two beautiful daughters, Deborah and Havilah. Um, and this was uh, last February. We were in Maui together. The girls took us. Um, Susie's 70th birthday, had a wonderful time. Seven grandkids uh, who are all in play. You know that? We're next generation. We're all praying our brains out. As my mother would say in a thick New York accent, I'm praying my brains out. But, uh, and I got saved on Mother's Day, so I'm believing 50 years ago this Mother's Day is when I got saved. So the prayers of a dad and mom are powerful. Pray for your kids. Believe God for them. And our kids, kids, multiple generations are going to serve God. And again, this house has that blessing. I got some books in the lobby um, that may be a blessing to you, Father Wounds, Church Wounds, others. You can check those out. But um, I do believe with all my heart that godliness with contentment is great gain. So the opposite would have to be true. Uh, godliness without contentment 
would be a real shame. It would be something, man, that's sad to be godly and not content. And what does that mean? Contentment means realizing God has provided everything I need for my present happiness. My sister has lived in Rome for 40 years. And so a few years ago, her, one of her sons was getting married. I flew over. At that time, you could smoke on planes. And so I sat between two guys who had a nicotine addiction. And they smoked all night long. I put my handkerchief over my face. I just literally could not breathe. These guys were all night long, smokestacks. And so I finally stood by the bathroom, literally standing by the bathroom for much of the flight. By the time I arrived, I was completely exhausted out of my mind. My nephew picked me up. It was a cold, rainy day. We winded our way for a couple of hours. I passed out in the passenger seat and was awakened by him yelling, we're going over! I opened my eyes. We're coming off an exit ramp. We're hydroplaning, and, and all of a sudden, we are airborne. And I yelled, Jesus, help us. And so we go over a cliff, down a mountain, uh, do multiple uh, somersaults, land on our tires. All the windows are broken out. All the luggage is strewn across the mountain. Uh, shaken, seat belts, thank God, were on. Um, immediately I felt rain on my face. There's no more windows. And, uh, and yet we were spared, you know, a little bit of shoulder stuff from the seatbelt. The car was totaled. It was his father-in-law-to-be. He's getting married the next day. Father-in-law-to-be, brand new Alfa Romeo. Gone. As the Italian police said, the piccolo accidente. But it was more than a piccolo accidente. It was totaling a car. It was over. Um, and it was not fun. It was not fun. I didn't enjoy it at all. On another occasion, I was at an amusement park, and I paid a lot of money to go on a ride that they strapped me in, and then for probably seemed like five minutes, seemed like forever, twirled me around, upside down, jerking me around, but with me laughing and clapping and screaming, and had a wonderful time. Far more aggressive than the cliff ride. So one was a thrill ride, one was a cliff ride. And the difference between the two was one word, trust. I had no absolute confidence that as I was spinning through space, uh, careening down a mountain, that it was gonna end well. There was no confidence that, man, this is gonna end well. And yet I was confident on the amusement park ride, you know, it didn't seem like anyone flew off while I was in line that's a good chance we're gonna get through this. And that really typifies to me our lives. Is your life right now, when you walked in here, is it a thrill ride? I can't wait to get back to my life. Or is it a cliff ride? Taking a little siesta from the struggles in your life. And that really is gonna be based on one word. What are you trusting in? And so my hope in this message that you'd be able to see that from God's perspective, your life is a thrill ride. He can't wait to show you the amazing script he has for you if you would just trust him. He saves the best wine for last. He can only do more. Psalm 72 says God only does wondrous things. He's limited, he's just limited. All he can do is amazing things. And so that is the challenge for us. Now, 
It is a difficult thing. Most Americans, 94% of Americans surveyed say they, they need something to, in particular to happen in their lives before they can be happy. And that's why most Americans will never be fully happy. Uh, I would call that crack Christianity, where you're waiting for your next fix. You're waiting for the next fix to perhaps indicate your life's gonna turn out okay. Purely circumstantial, purely based on experience, not based on conviction or perspective. And so as a pastor, as I had this relation now over a number of years, become a life message, as I really wasted my time for a long time for circumstances to change in my life, I sat by doors to reopen that God never intended to reopen. They were part of projects where I saw God did amazing miracles, some of the greatest miracles I've ever seen until I realized at one point that I was the project and that he wasn't worried about completing something external. He was completing something in me. And that's really what's happening, guys. God is wanting to complete. He has begun in you. His work in you will bring it to completion. And as I heard Pastor George's message, which was amazing, and I'll hear it again, last time he spoke here on July 29th, he used that verse that we are complete in him. And so we'll never be complete chasing after the mirage, the illusion, the rainbows of earth, our little dreams that we premeditate will never be complete in our own ideas. And so I finally got tired. I left, I literally cut the kite strings on doors that I anticipated opening again and said, you know what, Lord, I'm just gonna stop. You know, there's a throne in heaven that has, uh, is shaped for one rear end and it's not yours. There's a God who sits on that throne who has better plans than we do, if we will trust him. And so I don't wanna be one of those that is waiting for something external to happen before I can be content in me. When my wife and I went to New Zealand a number of years ago, we met a girl uh, who looked like this. And that's not a photoshopped image. She had no lower half of her body. And so initially, of course, you're stunned. I mean, we don't see people who look like that. But as we talked with her and saw her, um, what was more amazing than how she looked, infinitely more amazing, was how she was responding to her life. She was glowing. And finally, we made an, a, a, an opportunity to have lunch with her and just began to ask her questions. She, at that point, was traveling around to schools and uh, her opening sentence as she was in front of student bodies was, don't feel sorry for me, I love my life. <laughs> and she's sitting in a room with people that have whole bodies but you know, mangled hearts and she or she has a half a body and is the tallest person in the room. And so just in talking with her, I realized there's, there's a quality in life. There's something about being complete in him that God desires for each one of us. And so Philippians 4 says this, and Paul said this, I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full or empty, or with plenty or little, for in Christ, it should be in Christ, it is Christ who gives me the strength that I need. So there's a secret to being content in every situation, to being complete in every situation, and it has nothing to do with your circumstances. Your circumstances are the least significant thing happening in your life. Many of you are hoping, you know, you're like, you know, come on, daddy, do it for Jesus, you know, Jesus, do it for daddy. You're in, a, you're in a slot machine. You're trying for your life to work out. 
and you're literally wasting your time. And if I could jumpstart you with paddles and just say, stop it. You don't need to wait for something external to make you complete inside. It's a perspective. As a pastor, for many years, I would stand outside, greet people, and um, over time, I'd ask them questions. I'd say, how are you doing? Oh, man, I'm doing great. And if I had a little bit of time, I'd say, are you doing great because of your perspective or your circumstance? And they'd, uh... And I said, if it's your circumstance, you should really start saying goodbye right now because it's not going to last. And again, I, obviously, I gradually warm up that conversation, but the reality is, were they doing great based upon something external that they were hoping would continue or you're, they're about to step into a great baloney? It's the deli section. Move on. The reality, reality is, Christ in me is my only hope of glorifying God. Either I'm complete in here or there's no external circumstance that's ever gonna make my life complete. So when Jesus said this, he said, I have come that they may have life and that may have it abundantly. Was he talking about the sweet by and by? You know, guys, earth is gonna sucketh. That's the King James. Earth is gonna sucketh. But eternity, it's gonna be awesome. Was he saying that abundant life is for eternity, future? Or is there are some abundant life here? I mean, it would be ludicrous to think that all he's doing is saying, you know, nothing good's gonna happen down here by eternity. So something's gotta shift in order for me to live the abundant life. He wasn't overselling it. You know, he didn't have too much wine one night and said, hey man, abundant life. No, he meant literally super abundant life is what he's called us to. So what does that mean? It's not hype, it's not hyperbole. He's not overstating it. There's something there that we need to believe. What he says, the Bible says don't add or subtract from his word. He's not, he's not messing around with our heads. He's trying to inspire us that there's something more. So my message is living the abundant life. And that's a term we're very familiar with. But living the abundant life. Again, it's, I'm not standing here having you know, captured that dimension of my life and every day I look down upon the masses and feel sorry for them. I'm in pursuit. I think of a verse in the, in the Old Testament where the Israelites were chasing an enemy and it said they were exhausted but still in pursuit. <laughs> and at times I, I certainly can feel that. You know, I can get tired, I can get worn, but I'm in pursuit. If I'm traveling from California to New York, I'm going to New York. I may be in Wyoming or Ohio or Pennsylvania. I know where I'm going. I'm going to New York. I'm going to abundant life. So how do I get to abundant life? If he promised it, if he says, that's why I came, we could literally miss why he came. I came that you might have abundant life. Now, again, before, you know, you dismiss me as, you know, a hyperactive guy, very intense, you know, God bless him. Uh, He's delusional. Why don't you believe Jesus? And why don't you believe that maybe Jesus knows what he's talking about? I'm just trying to follow him. I wasn't the author or the finisher of that sentence. But that's his sentence. So, the abundant life Jesus promised is completely dependent on three things. And I think you'll find all these things are very intelligent. How you see God. If you think God, again, I was an atheist from 15 to 22 hated God, mocked Christians, little dental hygienist in college with the smile of God loves you. I remember mocking her. 
took a class in the Bible and its influence on English literature, studying the book of Job in college, wrote a scathing paper against the existence of God. So trust me, I was, and in your face, I'd track you down, atheist, because I was angry with God about my childhood. I had father wounds out the kazoo. The day my father died, I was glad he died, sad. At his funeral, my twin brother and I were glad it was over. Sad for my mom, glad it was over. 17 years old. So my concept of God was so tweaked because my concept for me of my father was so hard, so difficult. Your concept of God will, if you have a warped concept of God based upon an authoritative figure, a parent, whatever, you'll never live the abundant life. Impossible. How could you, why would you ever want to serve a God who's judgmental and condescending and all he thinks about is what you've done wrong? I mean, I would want to be around my father because I wasn't that impressive. He was. <laughs> his, you know, his face was on the New York Times the day he died. He was a congressman, Supreme Court judge, immigrant, walked, worked his way, top of the class. I wasn't the top of my class. I was in the middle of my class. <laughs> That's who I was until I had subjects I liked and I would excel, but most of the time I had learning disabilities and so I wasn't interested. But my father was not who God is. Now I wrote a book, Father Wounds, in the dedication it says, to my earthly father, there's no one who hurt me more on earth than you, but there's no one I long to see in heaven more than you. May our heavenly father make it so. Amen. So the healing has come, but I had a tweaked view of, of a God. And that had to be changed in my life. Because I had a tweaked view of God, then I, the second point, the second dimension I needed to be dependent on was I didn't understand how God saw me. You've got to see God properly. You've got to see, and once you do, you begin to have the potential of seeing how he sees you. If you've got a warped view of God, you'll never believe he'll have a good view of you. So I knew God loved me. When I got saved, I was saved powerfully, delivered, you know, from demons, ripped off necklaces the moment I received Jesus, could breathe, and being choked by these demonic necklaces. I used to worship uh, Hindu gods and, and other things that are crazy. And so all of a sudden, I knew God loved me. I was high for the first month, but I would not come down. But I still didn't know he liked me. <laughs> and so when I'd mess up, I'd feel bad. I remember at different times we'd go on a vacation and I do like being by an ocean or something and I remember crying just saying, God, I thank you for being so good to me. I'm so grateful. And then I would always end with, in that, in that season, but I'm so sorry I never really become the person you wanted me to be. And so it was said, it was really, at, at the end of those prayers, I would apologize for my life. And that's warped. And so about 22 years ago, I went to the House of Prayer in Kansas City and spent, Susie and I went, spent about eight hours in the presence of God, just the presence of God. And all of a sudden, I began to feel what I first felt when I received Jesus. That's an identical experience. It had nothing to do with my performance. Obviously, when I walked into that church that day, Mother's Day, 1972, hell, 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 okay? So I came in with no credentials. I came in with nothing that would merit me being acceptable to God. I actually walked in thinking I was kind of God. 
And yet, a minute before I received Jesus, he's madly in love with me. Can't wait. He knows what's about to happen. He knows the future. He knows what's going to take place. A minute after, his love had not increased at all. He was madly, he was crazy about me when I walked in. He was crazy about me when I walked out. Not based on performance, based upon his perspective of me. Listen, God can't love you anymore and he can't love you any less. He's already seen your whole life play out in terms of the future. He knows the, the future. He's not manipulating it, gave us a free will. But does he know your future? Of course he does. Before the foundation of the world, he knew everything that would play out in your life. So his perspective of you has always been the same. It isn't like, you know, he used to like me, but not anymore. Or, or he never liked me because I started, you know, sinning as soon as I became a Christian. I would mess up periodically, and that's a disappointment. God has no illusions about you. He's never been disillusioned about you. Because he already knows your whole life. So if, he's like, if he likes you, and again, it's not based on your performance, it's not based upon you acing it, you nailing it, it's based upon he sees his incredible potential in your life. He sees his plan for you. He sees the script that he's written that out of all possible options is the best possible script for your life. You couldn't write a better script for your life. That include your temperament, personality, history, every dimension. You, your script is unbelievable. I can't wait. If you don't meet someone who go, watches a movie and they say, oh man, you know, watch this movie, it's incredible. You know, you know, it gets a little fuzzy at different points, but man, the end, unbelievable. That's your script. Let me ask you, and this is the next point. So it's knowing how you see God, how God sees you, and lastly, how you see your life. How many of you are parents? How many would like your children's life to end horribly? Would you be honest? How many would like your children's lives to, be, to end amazing? Now that's ridiculous. <laughs> that's delusional. Why would you think that? Anything other than that would be delusional. So why would our Heavenly Father write a script for you that would not have an amazing ending? Amen. Good time to clap. Amen. Good time to clap. Amen. Good time. If you're just getting on the train, good time. I'm not saying, guys, that I am the personification of this message. I know where I'm going. I may be in Wyoming. I may be in Ohio. I'm going to New York. I'm going to abundant life every day. Get it off me. Get whatever is not clear and that off me in Jesus' name. So, Susie, my beautiful wife, was married before me. Her husband didn't want Jesus. The day he died as a crop duster, he was going to file for divorce. Her parents showed up at the house she was living in at midnight and told her, that Dennis had died. She cried, she was hoping the marriage to get back together. She went to the bedroom to start packing. And again, broken, sad, hurt. And through the tears, she saw this scripture on the wall. And we know, not hope, not imagine, not presume, we know all things work together for good, for our benefit 
to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And she read it, closed her eyes, and believed it. And it went in, and it became her life verse. And, and you can qualify, too. Again, it's a warranty. We'll see if you're covered. There's two dimensions. Do you love God more than anyone or anything? Are you in pursuit of that? I'm not saying, you know what, just they should make a movie about my life. I'm saying, as far as your heart, do you want to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Raise your hand. Okay, good. You may qualify. We're still vetting you. The second dimension, do you love, want God's will more than your will? All right. You guys are all covered, or at least many of you. But that's the criteria. Now, if that's true, if that's God's unlimited warranty that he guarantees without a doubt, and we know positively that everything that happens, I don't care what happens, the least significant thing, the least significant thing happening is what happens. The most significant thing is what's happening in me. I want to respond well to life. I remember uh, uh, Kenny was a financial guy. He came and, I don't know, it was 50, 20 years ago. And he said, man, we got a problem. So he shared the problem. Was, and so I remember going to the restroom and just praying. And the Lord said, you know, Francis, you're in charge of the respond well department. I'm in charge of everything else. And so I walked out realizing, whoa, man, I only have one responsibility. I just got to respond well to life. And we actually worked out the issue. It was a little shell game, you know, with moving things around. It wasn't, it wasn't a life and death reality anyway. But I've lived with that reality. I am responsible for one thing, trusting God and responding well. I'm not the author. I'm not the finisher. I'm not the brains of the operation. I don't grab the wheel. I've never banged on the cockpit of a plane and yelled at the person I've never met inside, do you know what you're doing in there? I'm trusting strangers to fly me around the world. Why not trust the God of the universe to guide you through life? That's good. So I have waited, I guess I said, by doors to open that what God never intended to open. So what am I waiting for? Well. I speak to my soul. My soul, wait silently. And this is the hard part, is because whining is not allowed. Unless it's the new wine. We would tell our girls, we'd say, girls, the new wine. The Bible says, um, complainers walking after their own lust. So every time we're whining about life, you know, what my soul, shh, David said, the Bible says, David quieted his soul like a weaned child. Yes. I quiet my soul. My soul can be a little brat. If you've ever seen an old brat, you know one thing about them. They were a young brat and they never got over it. So the best thing you could do is train your soul. We teach our kids, train your soul. Train your soul. So my soul waits silently on God alone. Why? My expectation is from him. Now, our expectations can be the training ground for disappointment. If, I, if you're the author of your expectations, I mean, you're in for Mr. Toad's wild ride. If you're the author of your expectations, which are going to be so fluid, again, you're going to have this roller coaster ride. It's going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's going to happen. It's not going to happen. And all of a sudden, you're, you live with frustration. So I don't, I'm, 
Every day, and this may sound like an overstatement, but every day I say, Lord, I don't know what should happen. You know, people say they want their lives to work out. What does that mean? Like you have an idea what workout looks like? <laughs> so you periodically go into the driver's seat and saying, now if this would just happen, how do I know what's best for me? Does being thrown into a fiery furnace look like working out? Does having a red sea in front of you look like working out? Does hanging on a cross look like working out? But all those were working out situations. All those were the God of happy ending at work. So what do I need to do? I need to train my soul. And people want God's will. Actually what they want is their will. They're saying, God, just do this. I mean, I have many times brought to God a clear document of what needs to happen. God, you know what? I have thought this through. <laughs> I've had a lot of prayer and I'm really sharp and clear. I mean, there's amazing miracles. Just sign off and we're good. <laughs> Never signs off. You know, he gives me a head. You know, Francis, my thoughts, not your thoughts. My ways, not your ways. So why are you wasting your time thinking you know what's going on? Now, when the Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you desires of your heart, that means if you surrender your heart to God and you let him have your heart, he will so mold your heart that the only thing that could come from that heart would be his will. That's why the Bible says, if you pray anything according to his will, it shall be done. It doesn't say if you pray anything, it shall be done. He's not your sugar daddy in heaven. Just come on, Jesus. It's not, it's not gonna happen. But if we say, Lord, you know what? I, don't, I have no agenda, I have no preference, I don't know enough to have a preference, I don't know enough to ask what should happen, I'm just trusting you, but I believe your plans are good, you know, that you, you have a plan and a purpose for me, I trust you, and I'm delighting myself in him. My heart changes, and all of a sudden I'm in the river of God, I'm flowing, and it's magnificent. There was an older man, married 60 years, and his wife had passed away. And he's checking into a, a home. The attendant said, you know, in a few moments, just hang in there, uh, and I'll show you your room, was describing the room to him. And the old man said, oh, I'm gonna love it. And the attendant said, you haven't even seen the room yet. How do you know you're gonna love it? Oh, he goes, he's seeing the room has nothing to do with it. I've already decided I'm gonna love it. Yeah. Happiness yeah. Is, is something we decide ahead of time. I didn't wake up today saying, I'm gonna have a, I may have a blessed day, not sure, not sure. I'm gonna have a blessed day. I may not fully understand it. It may not seem to be tracking like it's gonna end well, but the God of happy endings, the God who does all things well, is in charge of my life. It's not having what you want, it's wanting what you have. If you trust the author and finisher, if you trust the person who has given you your life, then you're gonna trust the script he's written for your life. So that, that is God's plan. And so we're all looking for something, but the Bible says wisdom is in the presence of the one who has understanding. It's right there. But the eyes of the fool are on the ends of the earth. I don't wanna be a fool. I don't wanna, it's like Jesus is on the dock. The one you're looking for, he's on the dock and you're looking out across the horizon, you're saying, Jesus, could you just, I'm waiting for my ship to come in. 
Jesus goes, I'm your ship, buddy. I'm the one you're looking for. Trust me. I'm right here. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Trust. Thrill ride, cliff ride. What do you got going, guys? When you leave here today, are you walking out into your thrill ride? I hope so. I can't wait to see what God has in store for me. Final equation. And this is an equation. We rejoice in our suffering. Now, it just starts off in your face, right there. What should I do with suffering? Rejoice. The word rejoice means to jump up and spin around. Oh my gosh, I am suffering right now. It's <laughs> Rejoice in your suffering. <laughs> I know, many people, I'm out. I am so out. But when you get to the end of the equation, you like the end. We'll see how it get there. We rejoice in our suffering, knowing that the suffering produces endurance. I remember one of our daughters was engaged, and with her fiance, he wasn't stepping up. He wasn't responding as he needed to. So she rubbed her hand on his back, said, honey, what happened, what's, what's, he goes, I don't know what. She goes, it's a spine, you can use it anytime you want to. They're doing great. The spine grew in, the spine grew in. <laughs> Suffering produces endurance, and endurance character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. So, if you're lacking hope right now, I love you, I love you, I love you, it's because you lack character. That's what's needed. If you're lacking hope at this moment, character, that's like the image that's on a coin of a sovereign, the, the image of God in your life, the character of God in your life. Yeah. And if you lack character, it's because you've not endured suffering. Amen. Why, if, if the goal in life is to be successful, then why in the, in the book of Revelations does God said, to him who overcomes? <laughs> why does it say, to those who succeed? He says, to him who it's coming at you, and you overcome. Eight times it says that. That's, that is the acid test of whether you connect the dots in life, if you're an overcomer. So, and again, as I get older, kids, as I look at the Bible and read about older people and watch how life generally allows older people, you know, the older I get, again, I'm... I'm trusting that my brain, my body, all those things will be working perfectly forever. But if I'm gonna be 130 years old, things are gonna break down. So at some point, I may not be as sharp. I remember a couple years ago, as I was beginning to experience some of the dimensions of getting old, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. And it's a beautiful sentence, he said, I'll be with you in your old age. That may just sound like, duh, of course, where's it gonna go? But it, it was a moment where I felt like the Lord was saying, you know what, Francis? I've been with a few people who have grown old. I'll be with you. And on many occasions, I've said as I'm traversing getting old, I said, God, you're with me, right? 
Right, you're with me, and God's gonna help me in that dimension. So my appeal to you in this is say, Lord, I trust you that all things are gonna work together for my life. So let's summarize. And Krista, if you would come to the keyboard, please. How are you seeing God today? Is he a good God, a loving God? Is he a good father, a safe father, a healthy father? Is he the one you run to? Do you wait to get caught or do you turn yourself in? Do you know his heart for you is the best motive of any person in existence? Is no one who's loved you more? Every time he thinks of you, he smiles? I believe that, he adores you. We got seven grandkids. They don't have to do anything for us to adore them. They are adorable. Do we like everything they do? I don't like everything I do. I like everything Susie does. How we see God, how God sees us, how we see our life. You know, I'm looking forward to my future because God can't wait to show me what's up ahead. He says, you know what? Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has entered into the heart the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And so today, let me say this, there needs to be a paradigm shift, guys. If you're here today and you came in just off a cliff ride, if you're within your marriage or your body or your job or your thoughts, I mean, listen, I spent six months of my life being suicidal. You know, my wife is a live-in counselor. I've saved thousands by marrying my wife. <laughs> Hundred thousand. My wife was raised in a very normal, healthy home. And I've forgiven her. It's not her fault. It's not her fault. I don't hold that against her. But the reality is, when you leave today, if you're going, that's not possible. He's the God of the impossible. All things are possible with God. You can leave today with a different perspective than when you walked in. Not based being a junkie for what's about to happen. Now, if I were to say, imagine this, if I walked up to one of my grandkids when they were young and I said, uh, and they said to me, Grandpa, hit me as hard as you can. I wouldn't go, yeah, you know, Phew. No, I'm not gonna change how I hit them. If you said to God, God, make my life as hard as possible. God, make my life as easy as possible. He's, he's not gonna do either one. <laughs> He's going, Francis, I already have a script, buddy. It's the best. I don't need your advice. I'm not looking for script writers. I'm looking for script doers. Just do my will. It's the best. You couldn't write a better script for you. If you were behind the wheel, you couldn't direct your life any better. Trust me. Let's all stand together, please. This is something we can do. This is one of those I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Listen carefully, guys, okay. I mean, if right now, everything I've said, you're going, you know what, Francis, I've been living clear with this perspective for years. That's great. You're in pursuit, as I am. But if some of this is like, wow, if this isn't overstated, I, I gotta make a mid-course correction here. If, if literally, this is the only way to the abundant life, is my perspective of God, his perspective of me, and then the acid test is, am I going to embrace the life he's written for me? 
So I want us to pray right now. It's just to pray wherever you are. And um, as your eyes are closed right now, if, if you would say before you and God that you have heard something today that really requires not a little shift, but a significant shift in your heart. And you're saying, God, would you help me? Would you lift your hand right now? Just say, God, it's me. Just lift your hand between you and God. It's a good thing. 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 Father, we lift our hands before you. We thank you, Lord, that you've loved us with an everlasting love, that you do adore us. You smile whenever you think about us. Not everything we've done, but everything we are to you. And you've, you're excited about creating us and you want us to be excited about our lives as well all that you have whatever it means we know it's going to end well it may not end even as hebrews 11 says where everything is tidy on earth but in eternity lord whatever's missing we pray for those in afghanistan the christians who are there right now god those in other nations that are oppressed those lord who are struggling around the world representing you in nations that are far more oppressed than us and so today we want to apprehend that for which we've been apprehended. We reach out today and say, not just give us everlasting life, but give us abundant life. I don't want to just die and go to heaven. I want to live heaven on earth right now. I want to be able to receive what you would want for me right now. And I'm going to give you with one final set of, of verses in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said to his heavenly Father, Lord, Father, all things are possible with you. He had total faith total trust. All things are possible with you. God of the impossible is watching over him. But then he said, if it's possible, if it's your will, let this cup pass from my hand. He had a little preference. He didn't want to become sin. He didn't want to lose fellowship with the Father. But then he submitted and he said, but not my will, your will be done. So Lord, we would say to you, all things are possible. You know, I'm happy to be martyred if that's your will. I would request a little less suffering if I could offer that suggestion, but I would just say your will be done. If that's what you have in the script for me, I trust you. And at the end of the day, I bow before you for your will to be done in me more than my will. And I, I thank you that you promised us abundant life. And if you're here today, and again, if you've never totally surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, today's your day. Again, as eyes are closed right now, you'd say, I want to surrender my life to Jesus. I want to make him Lord of my life. Just lift your hand with me right now and say, that's me, Francis. That's me, thank you. Thank you. I want, I want Jesus Christ to be the Lord of my life. Just lift your hand, thank you. I want Jesus Christ to be the Lord of my life. Thank you, thank you. Father, I thank you for your presence in this room, God. Thank you, Lord, that you've loved us with an everlasting love, that you're your plan for us is perfect. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for our sins, taking the punishment that we deserved. Thank you for rising from the dead, conquering sin and death, and now sending the Holy Spirit to live inside of us. I pray your blessing on everyone who raised their hand. I pray that they would surrender their hearts to you totally and completely. I pray for this church family, for Pastor George, Pastor Suzanne, all the leaders here. I just speak life, blessing, favor, provision, everything that's needed. Thank you, Lord, that when I think of them, I think of some of the most blessed people I've ever met, ever in my entire life. They are blessed. And I thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for the blessing they have been in our, in our lives. Susie and I are, are better people, different people. We've had blessed lives in part because of how they modeled that for us, how they blessed us, how they helped us at times when we really needed a shot in the arm of encouragement. And they did. 
So Lord, we thank you for this day. We honor you for it. We look forward to eternity, not just in the sweet by and by, but today living eternal life, abundant life in Jesus' name. Amen. Give God a hand. All right. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, visit therockonline.org.